Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to do a two-part uh, series starting today called The Great Demands of Salvation. The Great Demands of Salvation. Um, as this man was drilling a batch of recruits, uh, uh, he, the sergeant was, he, and he saw that one of them was marching out of step. So walking up next to the man as they marched, he said sarcastically to him, do you know that they are all out of step except you? And the private uh, innocently asked, what? And he said, I said, they are all out of step except you, thundered this sergeant at him. At him. The recruit replied, well, Sarge, you're in charge. You tell them. Thank you. I'm sorry. Sorry. Let me just apologize. Okay, I'm sorry. That was dumb. It, it, I, it sounded better in my head and while I was reading it. Can't get that back. But let's go to the Word. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse, I can't even look at y'all right now. Verses 4 through 10. With my mother in the room and everything. Okay. But God. Everybody say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Everybody say these words. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you, Lord. For your revelation. Thank you for illuminating hearts by your spirit today. Thank you for understanding. Thank you, Lord. The truth sets us free. That is the truth that we know. And Lord, we want to know it today. Because Lord, we want to walk in a greater measure of your freedom. The freedom that we only find from the liberating power of your word. So we welcome your word into our hearts. We open our ears to be attentive, not just to hear, but to hear, to understand. Thank you that you grant your people the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. The eyes of their understanding being enlightened. Right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. And Father, I thank you for the great benefits, the harvest of the seed of your word. It's life to those who find it. It's health to all of our flesh. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So we give attention to it now. Lord, we do not want to leave in the same way we came in. We want to be increased in you. Lord, we thank you that we, as this has been your plan for us from the beginning, that we are conformed into the image of your dear son. May that be more so today than ever before. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now, there are six thoughts 
that we're going to bring out of this passage of this that we just read over the next couple of weeks, but we're going to do three of them today. And the first one is love demands unreasonable mercy. Love demands unreasonable mercy. Number two, grace demands exalted life. Grace demands exalted life. And number three, exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. That's really good. Exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. Let's go back to verse 4 of Ephesians 2, and let's look at this first truth. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You see, his mercy is not motivated by you deserving it, by you performing for it. His mercy is motivated by his love for us, by his love for you. That's why, because of his great love toward us, he is rich in mercy. So love demands, then, unreasonable mercy. I was also looking over at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where I think most of us are probably familiar with that passage of Scripture. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture. Um, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I've become a clanging brass or a, or, or, or a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy that I, can under, that I have all knowledge, that I could understand all things. Though I have all faith that I could remove, remove mountains but have not love, it profits me nothing. And though I uh, give to the poor, and though I give my body to be burned or to be offered up as a martyr, but have not love, nothing gets accomplished because love suffers long and is kind. And it goes all, all through these characteristics of love. And now, now, sometimes we make the mistake that this, this chapter is about the love that we need to express. It's actually the love that we need to possess. If I have not love, in other words, you first need to possess the love of God. You have to know that you are loved and receive his love for you. These are not demands put on you. These are the demands put on God's love for us. And it shows us the character of God, God's love, the nature of God's love. And one of the things that it says down in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love bears all things. Now, for many years, I read that and thought the way I interpreted it was that it endured all things. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Later it says endures all things, but what does it bear? Uh, okay, love bears all things. That it's able to carry the weight, right? That's, that's kind of the, the illustrative language that I see in it. it. It picks up the weight, but actually here's what it really means. When I open this up in the Greek and I discovered something that was really powerful and it says love bears all things. The word bears means to cover, to cover over with silence to keep secret, to hide or conceal the errors and faults of others. Ooh. The love of God conceals and covers and keeps secret your errors and faults. Now, this says here, now that we look at it We see this from our New Testament perspective of what exactly Jesus Christ did for us when he died for our sins. God became silent about your sins. He doesn't talk about them. He doesn't impute them to you. Jesus was the one God imputed our sins to. And now he's gone quiet about it. Now, if we can just take a moment to 
pause and reflect on that because that's the gospel truth. But oftentimes we are so busy accounting sins that we forget the real truth. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their sins to them. If Jesus died, let me say it like this, the fact, you've heard me say this, but we have to remember, the fact that Jesus died means God really did account our sins to him. Jesus could not have died because he never sinned. He was not born with Adam's nature. He was born with his father's nature. There was no reason for Jesus to die. He had never done anything wrong. But the fact that he did die means that God did account our sins to him. That means just as real as he was accounted as sin, just as real as he died, you and I have been accounted something altogether different now. The righteousness of God in Christ. Just as real as he became sin, you became the righteousness of God. And love has silenced the accusation and the remembrance of our sins through his mercy. We all understand when we read the word of God, we all understand there is a day of reckoning coming. There is a day of judgment. The final day, one scripture calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's a a good way to describe it. It's great for believers. It's terrible for unbelievers. But John says that we can, according to 1 John 4, 7, that in this is love. Love has been perfected among us in this, I should say, that we may have boldness In the day of judgment. What makes us bold on the day of judgment? We have to stand before the judge of the living and the dead. The judge of all the earth. God Almighty himself. Jesus is our confidence. Not us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done. But by his mercy. He saved us. We may have boldness in the day of judgment. It's a marvelous thought, isn't it? And uh, you know, on this day, court's going to be called into session. All be called to order, and God, the judge himself, will be presiding over the proceedings. And unfortunately, one after another will have chosen to represent themselves, thinking that no one can speak better for me than myself. But before they do that, they, they already at one other time had been offered a free offer of legal mediation on their behalf. But they refused it. Because they figure, I know me. I know what I've done. I know who I am. And I know that I can represent myself. Foolish, foolish mistake. And as they stand and plead their feeble cause, their case, they'll say Phrases like, I was a good person. I, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't kill anybody. I worked hard. I, I did the best I could. I mean, I didn't make, I wasn't perfect, but who is? I mean, this, it's got to count for something, right? I mean, if I'm looking over my life, I, I kind of feel like the goods outweighed the bad. I mean, does that hold any water? No. And there are many in this earth right now who feel like that's true about themselves. 
that they measure themselves by measuring them against other people. And, and, and in some ways, they look really good. And so they feel good about themselves. And so as a result of that, then they feel like that they'll be okay when the end is come. Well, God wouldn't send them to hell. They were so good. They were so nice. They worked real hard. That's why. See, the, the truth is, my family, God is not sending people to hell. People are sending themselves there by their choice, allowing them to have the consequences of their choices. Because you are that in charge. You are that responsible. Try to blame God all you want. At the end of the day, he gave you the choice. And then there will be those who are the do nots, right? Well, Lord, I didn't dance, and I didn't drink, and I didn't chew, and I didn't dance with the girls that do either. And I didn't do drugs, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and I lived a very disciplined life, and I went to church. Yes, I went to church because that's what I'm supposed to do. And every once in a while, I gave in the offering. And... Jesus talks about this day in Matthew chapter 7. Now, this scripture used to be used way out of conference to dangle our church over hell, to make us think we were never secure in our relationship with God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? And I remember the preacher saying stuff, see, you can pray in tongues and go to hell. You can prophesy and still go to hell. Lord Jesus, help people to get an education in the scriptures to understand what this is really saying and not saying what they want it to say. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised it from the dead, you will be saved. See, when men confess Lord Jesus as Lord on judgment day, that's too late. Every knee will bow on that day. Every tongue will confess on that day. And the truth is, here's the way Jesus responds to those guys who are saying, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? First of all, this tells you this person, is, this person isn't saved in the first place because they're trusting in themselves instead of trusting in him. Yeah. Yeah. They were never a believer. Jesus said, listen, depart from me, you who work or practice lawlessness. In other words, what Jesus just said to what they said is you are liars. You never did any of that in my name. You practice lawlessness because I never knew you. The many sermons I heard were that, see, you can do all those things, so um, you just, you better toe the line, you better act right because you're not secure. Anybody can go to hell. That's not what that scripture says at all. Jesus says, I never knew you. Now, if we're talking about Christians who have what we call backslid, Jesus would have to say, I did used to know you, but now I no longer know you. He says, I never knew, which means they never believed. They're trusting in themselves. And that day is going to be a very terrible day for those who trust in themselves or trust in their work or trust in their denomination or trust in their performance or trust in because grandma was a Christian, I'm good. Right? Listen, there will be, they will all be deemed guilty as charged. Because here's the charge. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the charge. The wages of sin is death. But here's the other part of that charge. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, these guys think that they have to or can or will earn heaven instead of the easy thing that God provided for us to simply accept the gift. The gift of God is eternal life. 
Not the wage of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do it so hard? Why live so hard when you can accept his gift freely through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The church is so good at making things so hard. Why? When God made it so easy, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I get a good amen today? But to you, how many of you here today are believers? How many of you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that God raised him from the dead the third day? Can I get a witness here? All right. Okay, good. For you, see, you chose the mediator's legal representation. So guess what? You don't even show up to the hearing. Your name gets called, and your mediator steps up and says, "Uh, your highest honor, my client um, has already, uh, and I have settled his case out of court his or her case, out of court. And uh, this is based on uh, uh, one of the statutes from the living written word of God called the Holy Scriptures. And I, I reference section John code 5 colon 2 4, which says, whoever receives my word and believes on him who sent me, this one has eternal life. Ooh, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So their case has been settled. And the judge will say, wonderful, enter into the joy of the Lord. This is why you have confidence on the day of of judgment. This is why you stand boldly, because all of your confidence is in the spotless Lamb of God, your mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus who speaks on your behalf. And let me tell you something. When you need legal representation, don't try to go at it yourself. All right? Matter of fact, on that day, one more bit of advice, because we're all going to stand before him. And the Bible says that God is going to separate the sheep from the goats, the sheep representing the believers, the goats representing the unbelievers. And and the sheep will go to the right. When he says, go right, you go left. Because you're not going your right, you're going to his right. So go ahead and just practice that left step. Yes, sir. (laughs) It ain't my right. It's his right. Uh, God isn't merciful because you deserve it. He's merciful to you because he loves you. I thank the Lord that his love covers a multitude of sins. I thank God that his love casts out all fears. And only allows us, our, our, the, the, the only response for us to this is to receive it. To believe that he loves me. To believe that he loves you. Amen. And not only will we have boldness on the day of judgment. He also requires us in order to obtain this mercy, you come boldly before the throne of grace. Yes. He only allows the believer, his children, one way to come. And that is boldly. Yes. Amen. His love demands unreasonable mercy. Let's look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together. That is, now we partake of his resurrection. We are crucified with Christ. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When he died, we died. Amen. And so our old nature was done away with. And now, and even in the waters of baptism, it is a symbol, symbolic, if you will, of us coming up out of the grave of Jesus rising from the dead, and now we identify with him, we rise in newness of life and leave the old nature dead in the waters. So, this resurrection is twofold, though, because spiritually, you were resurrected when you put your faith in Jesus. When you believed the gospel, you heard it, you believed it, you accepted Christ, at that moment, you became spiritually alive. Amen. The old... Dead spirit came to life. But then it also ensures your future resurrection. Should Jesus wait to come back? And my gosh, I wish he had hurry up and just come on back. This has been the longest 2020 ever, right? I mean, it's the only, but the, the, no, there's been another one in time past, but it's just been so long and there's been, there've been so many, such a shift in the earth, right? This year like never before. So it makes me feel like we've kind of stepped into an exponential pace when it comes to the Lord's return. But the truth is, none of us know. None of us know. They thought they knew in, centuries ago. And then hundreds, uh, hundreds of years. Then remember 1988? 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. <laughs> none of it happened. And then so the guy who wrote another book, 89 reasons why the Lord's coming in 1989. Didn't happen. 2012 is supposed to happen. All these years, and these supposed experts on end times just keep getting debunked and foolish looking. But people keep buying the books. I don't understand. I need to get in on that racket. <laughs> Nobody knows. Not even Jesus knows. How can we possibly know? Anyway, I'm just saying, but the times do seem to be, they definitely are pointing us to that. And no doubt we are closer to the last day today than we've ever been before. All right, just, just a little bit of uh, logical deduction there. But should he wait and should we grow old here and pass away? That's not the end. The very fact that Jesus rose from a literal grave ensures that you will rise from a literal grave. And you will. Your body will receive final, the final, the finality of your salvation, saved spirit, soul, and body. And now your body won't fight you anymore. It won't fight the spirit. It'll just do what it's supposed to do. Amen. Right now we're in this war, the justified spirit living in an unglorified body. Right? And if you don't identify with the right thing, you're going to live a goofed up Christianity. You got to know who you are. You're the one who's right with God. You're the one who wants to do the right thing. You're the one who knows how to pray the will of God because of the spirit who lives in you and guides you into all truth. It's the flesh that brings the confusion. It's the flesh that's fighting against that because the flesh only wants to live for itself. As I've told you before, anybody ever have trouble sleeping in here? Let me recommend two things. One, start reading the Bible as you're laying there. You'll just go right to sleep. <laughs> or just pray in tongues. You'll just go right to sleep. The body don't want any part of that. So if you're having trouble sleeping... All right, before you grab the whatever pill you take, go just open the Word of God. I recommend Leviticus or Numbers or something like that. It'll just, it'll just kill you. <laughs> but we've been, so he's raised us up to go think about this. This means what grace has done for you and I is that grace demands exalted life. Raised us up together. That is 
An exalted life is a life that is living in the power of the resurrection. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. All right, that same power is resident in you, resident in you all the And he dwells and he stays and he abides in you. See, we, the Old Testament guys didn't have what you have. They, they, they had the spirit of God come upon them once in a while and then he, then he would leave. And that's why David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I remember we used to sing that in church. I'm like, why are we singing an Old Testament song? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I'm like, this isn't our reality. The Spirit abides in us. Amen. They were crying out for what you have today. David looked toward this day and said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed are those to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He's looking at you. Wishing he could live in this time. This time of the new covenant where grace exalts your life. So we both are raised and will be raised from the dead. Since we are raised from spiritual death and we are made alive in Christ by grace, we have been exalted to live a life, listen to me, capable of living above sin. Just you don't have to sin. That's how exalted your life is by, grace, by the grace of God. You don't have to. I'm not saying you won't. I'm just saying you don't have to. Because the Bible says, grace, because of grace, sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. Grace reigns over your life, and that's what elevates you to a life above the dominion of sin. Amen. And its effect. Grace teaches us, according to the, uh, Titus, that our exalted lifestyle is one that denies ungodliness and worldly lust. Our life is one that is in a full agreement with what is right. Our exalted life, by the grace of God, is one where we have sound minds. Where we live godly in this present age. This is what His grace has done for us. It's always connecting us to our new nature so that we will live our lives well, pleasing to the Lord. Let me remind you of something. Over in Galatians chapter 3, and I'm circling the airport, okay? Galatians chapter 3 Verses 13 and 14. This is part of this great exchange that the Lord provided for us. Verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. See that? He became a curse for who? For us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing, here's why he became a curse. Get ready for this. There's a reason because there was an exchange to be made. It became a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That's all of you who believe on Jesus. You are Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. All right, so what does this mean? What, it, it didn't say that he redeemed us from the curse of the law, that the blessing of the law would come upon us. He said, no, we're going all the way back to Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing to be children of Abraham. The Bible says if you, later on in this chapter in verse 29, it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What that means is you get what Abraham got. Well, what did I get? What did I get? Well, you need to go study your Bible and find out. Let me just recommend that, but I'll give you a couple of things. One in particular, I'll say, is in Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham has rescued Lot, who had been kidnapped, Lot and his family, and the people of Sodom. So Abraham armed 318 of his men, his servants, and he went out after four different kings and their armies. Now, there was a battle that took place. There were five kings fought four kings, but the five kings couldn't beat the four kings. They had to retreat, and so Abraham and 318 whipped these four kings and their armies. 
How many of you know the Lord was with him <laughs> in order for that to happen? So they rescued all the people. They got the spoils of war, and they're coming to this place called the Valley of Shaba, the King's Valley. All right, this is the kind of place where only kings can go, only royalty can go. Like Cancun, Mexico used to be only a place for royalty. The common people couldn't go there. And so this was one of those places. So you can see how kings viewed Abraham as one of their contemporaries, that he felt perfectly comfortable to show up in the king's valley. And as he's coming toward the king of Sodom, who's waiting for the return of his people, a mysterious uh, figure steps in the way between Abraham and this king by the name of Melchizedek. He was the priest of the Most High God, and his name means king of righteousness, king of Salem, or king of peace. And he had in his hands bread and wines. First time we see the elements of communion all the way back, all the way back in Genesis. And Jesus' priesthood is according to the order of Melchizedek. And he said to Abram in verse 19, Blessed are you, Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham responded and gave a tithe as a result of that blessing pronouncement. But I want you to notice something here. This is one of the great things about being blessed with the blessing of Abraham. Here, the priest blesses him and he says something in particular. Abram of God Most High. The words... Uh, God most time, most time is the Hebrew word Elyon. It's E-L-Y-O-N, Elyon, like a Spanish yawn. Elyon. <laughs> Just try to get you to wait to remember it, okay? <laughs> Was that good? Okay, thanks, Pearl. I have my Spanish teacher. She backs me up on that. It's, it's so it's true. <laughs> Elyon. Now listen what this means. Elyon means an elevation. Utter, uppermost. Lofty. So think about what the priest just said to him. Blessed are you, Abram, of the God of elevation. Woo! Now, see, you are no longer just Tim Hutchins, which I recommend if you're looking for some place to eat. <laughs> Hutchins barbecue is always a good idea. Amen. You are Tim of the God of elevation. Whew. Huh? You are Peter of the God of elevation. Hmm? Doesn't that kind of make you want to straighten up a little bit? I am Eric of the God of elevation. Hmm? It's who you are. It's part of the blessing that you get. Listen, Jesus had to die for you to get that blessing. You need to make the exchange. And live that elevated life that grace demands. Amen. The blessing of elevation. Say your name, Rex. Say, I am whatever your first name is, and then of the God of elevation. Go ahead. Say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Ah, beautiful. Amen. You need to say that to yourself. You need to pronounce that over you because your life follows your confession. Let your tongue lead you in that elevated lifestyle. Amen. I mean, our elder brother is, just happens to be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. All right? And since you and I are seated with him, 
Amen. That means that he's made you to reign as kings as he does. Amen. Grace demands exalted life. And lastly, and made us sit together in the heavenly places. What are we doing in those heavenly places? We're sitting together. Hey, this is, this is kind of what we're doing here, isn't it? So that when we come in here to this, into this building as a body, it's interesting. We, we are kind of rehearsing our heavenly fellowship. See, exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. He made us sit together in heavenly places. That's beautiful. So we're, we're getting a, a, a small glimpse of it. I mean, look around you. You're going to be with these people forever. Go ahead, smile. Not that psycho smile like Crystal was talking about earlier. <laughs> forever. I'm going to be in your life forever. Aren't you excited? But we come here, see, and we need that glimpse of our greater purpose. That, that greater thing that we're connected to, that greater thing that we're part of, because though we live in this world, we don't live like this world. Amen. We're in it, but we're not of it. We are of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. And we have a king who, who cannot be shaken. And so we, have, we are here on this earth as emissaries of heaven itself. And, and so our shout, our cry, our lives should scream. God has reconciled the world to himself. Jesus died for our sins. To him be the glory and the power and dominion forever and ever. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are we going to get it here until we declare it to be here? And you have the authority and the right to live like heaven on the earth. But we are here as a church, and so we understand what we're connected to in this body. We're connected to our eternal purpose. This is where we understand that we do belong. No matter what kind of week you've had last week, maybe it was funky, you know? Maybe it was great. No, it doesn't matter. But when we come here, we, we get our, we get recentered, we get refocused, and we put our eyes on him and we magnify the, the Lord in our lives. And magnify means that we set our sights on him where he's the biggest thing, and then we get the right perspective about life. Because yesterday that little trouble just seemed like it was the biggest thing that I'd ever gone through. I even I even put it on Facebook to let everybody know. And now I've realized just how stupid it was. Compared to the magnitude of my God, how dumb was that? Why did I make a hundred out of something that was a four? I will magnify him. And we magnify him. All of a sudden, we get the sense that our troubles really aren't that bad. Yeah, they're bad, but they're not as bad as my God is good. <laughs> and we remember not only him, but we also remember who we are in him. And this great life, he has elevated us in. This fellowship, this heavenly fellowship that he's brought us into. That forever and ever and ever more, we will fellowship in the kingdom of God and worship him night and day because there is no night. It's good to be a member of the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Because it's better than just being in the arms of God. We actually are the arms of God. Yeah. Woo! Anybody feeling secure in Him right now? Amen. 
That'll make you feel secure when you know who you really are and what you're a part of. And this is why we come here. Hallelujah. I find great hope and strength here. And in this place, we realize our potential in becoming all that is in the heart of God for us, both in who we are and what he's called us each to do. Love demands, this is the love of God, demands unreasonable mercy. Grace demands exalted life. And exaltation demands heavenly fellowship. Father, thank you for this beautiful time in your scriptures today. Lord, we love your word and we thank you for it. All the power that is in it. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is able to divide soul from spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we, we say, yes, whatever your word wants to do in us, let it have its full effect. We want to live in the, in the effect of your word. We want to live in the reality of your word. So uh, we thank you for the truths that have come to us today. And Lord, may they sink in deep into our hearts. And may we remember, Father, these things as we go throughout this week, whatever challenges, troubles, or, uh, or issues that we face this week. Lord, we remember, uh, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. This trouble will soon pass, but the word of God endures forever. Thank you, Lord. Lord, there are needs here in this room. I don't know all of them, but you do. You know what we have need of before we even ask. And I thank you, Lord, that you have a way. You have a provision. Hallelujah. You have a healing. You have, Lord, the answers because you are the answer. So I thank you right now for meeting their needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you that healing is theirs because you were wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And by your stripes, we are healed. Thank you for that. Thank you for restoring relationships here today. Those things that may be strained right now, Lord, I pray that they will just let the things go that need to be let go of. That forgiveness and love will abound in these relationships here today. And thank you, Lord, for providing exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ask or think. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you and may he make his face shine upon you and all of your house and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.